Well, if you haven't been here, we've been doing a series called Big Picture Perspective where I've been going through the book of Philippians, which really the book of Philippians in the New Testament is really a letter, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of first century Christians who were Jesus followers, who were going through life like we were, and there was a lot of crazy going on in their world. And, uh, uh, you know, Paul was trying to continually encourage them to have that big picture perspective. Even when things around you are crazy, you got to understand God knows what's going on and He has a plan, He has a purpose, and He's doing something. Well, I want to start with an illustration uh, about a guy that you may or may not have heard of. His name is Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he's dead, but uh, he was a Russian writer who spent years in a Siberian prison uh, in uh, uh, Russia. And uh, he was born into a family that was uh, very strong in their Christian faith, the, the R- Russian Orthodox Church. But as he grew up, the uh, socialism and communism came into Russia and they just started an anti-religious campaign, which was happening when he was a, a young man. And him and his family tried to stay true and remain faithful to the Russian Orthodox Church, but somehow in his uh, earlier young adult years, he gave in to this atheism and Marxism and Leninism that was so prevalent in his culture, and he lost his faith for a while in Christianity. But later in his life, he gradually went back to his roots and became a a philosophically minded Eastern Orthodox Christian, and he came back to his roots as a result of his experience in these prison camps that he was uh, made to be a part of. And one story that came out of his prison experience is that One day he became completely discouraged. He was in this work camp where they would make these men go out and work every day, very hard labor, and it was pointless labor. Like, we want you to dig this hole all day long, and then when they would finish, they would say, now just fill it in. There was no really point to it, but just to let them know that they were going to do these things and they had no choice. And he became extremely discouraged and decided that he was going to give up and die. And how he was going to do that is he was just going to take his shovel that he was digging with and he was just going to lean on it. And he was going to wait for the guards to come and say, get to work. And he wasn't going to get back to work. And they would literally beat him to death. And he was at a point where he says, I don't care anymore. I just want to die. But he says, as he started to lean on his shovel, another fellow worker saw what he was doing. And he went over and he took his shovel and drew a cross in the ground in front of him. And then covered it up real quick so that the guards wouldn't see it. And he said this. He said, that entire, my entire being was energized by that little reminder of the hope and courage we have in Christ. He says, I found the strength to continue because a fellow believer cared enough to remind me of our hope in Christ. You see, he knew that. It was part of, his, of who he was, but he had been so discouraged. And sometimes during difficult circumstances, we need the encouragement and the reminder of what we already believe, don't we? We already believe it, but sometimes the, the, what happens in our lives just beats us down and we forget about what we truly believe or we think, is God listening? Does God care? Does He know what's going on in my life and the life of my family? Does He know what's going on at school, what I'm dealing with? Does He know what's going on at my job? And it can be very difficult. And the circumstances can make us doubt what we believe and can lead us to despair or giving up all hope at all. And Paul understands that some of the people he's writing to in that first century are maybe at this point. Paul recognized that reality and was trying to encourage them and remind them of what they already believed in their faith 
in Christ. He continually reminded them to look at what was happening in their world with this big picture perspective. And sometimes we have to back up and look at things and go, wait a minute. This is bad right here, but in the grand scheme of things, God is doing something and we can't give up hope. God was and is working in situations to bring about His purposes in that first century, and He's doing it in our 21st century as well. And Paul uses the word joy and rejoice over 15 times in this letter, and he's trying to get people to understand that joy is something that becomes a heartfelt mindset that we have in spite of our circumstances. It doesn't mean that I'm only joyful when my team wins. I'm only joyful if I get the raise. I'm only joyful if something good happens in my life. But I have this inner peace and inner joy even when things are difficult. And Paul had that. So today we're going to read the last part of the letter that we've been going through. And it's going to be chapter 4 of this letter. And we're going to start in verse 10. And I'm going to read through verse 23. And uh, We have it on the screen. If you've got your phone or your Bible, you can certainly look along. But listen to what Paul says. And he starts with that word, rejoice. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any And every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he ends the letter with kind of one of his greetings that are very similar in all of his letters. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit. Amen. Now, Paul, a lot of y'all know if you've been here, if you haven't, Paul is actually in in a house arrest. He's in a house, but he's under arrest with Roman guards with him all day. He can't go where he wants. Sometimes they allow people to come see him, but he is basically in prison because they're trying to sort out. He has appealed to Caesar because he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and a lot of people don't want to hear that. And so wherever Paul went in all these cities, he causes a riot, and people want him out because he's messing up what their belief system is. And Paul says, I'm just trying to tell you the good news of Christ and how it has transformed my life, and I want it to transform yours. So we're going to look at this passage I've just read. Paul starts in these first four verses with, again, the word rejoice. He is reflecting on how the Philippian church has encouraged him through their concern of him. Now, Philippi, where, he, uh, where these people are, where he helped start this church is some 750, 800 miles from Rome. So they are separated from quite a distance. But they have encouraged him, and they have sent money to him 
through this guy named Epaphroditus who we've talked about. They sent him all the way to Rome to encourage Paul and say, we're with you, Paul. We love you. We hope you get out. We know you're going to have to go before Caesar. We're praying for you. So he says, I feel that. They had supported Paul not only now, but also he mentioned, as you probably heard in the letter, in the past as well. And he will... Uh, but then Paul makes this odd statement that comes across almost ungrateful for the gift that they've given to him. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Well, Paul, if you have everything you need, then why did we send Epaphroditus 800 miles to give you this gift if you've got everything you need? But Paul, as he always is doing, is making a point He's making a point to challenge his readers to encourage them. And there is a, a reason. So he, he goes on. If you just stop right there like we do, we read one line of somebody's post, and then we go, oh, well, I know what they think. No, you have to read the whole thing. And so Paul goes on. We have to stick with him. Part of the reason he can rejoice so much and talk about joy is because he truly is content. Despite his circumstances of being in the, under this house arrest, he's 750 miles away from these people that love him, but he still feels a sense of contentment. And Paul wants the Philippians to understand that word content. In the Greek word, it means sufficient for oneself, strong enough, or possessing enough need, no aid or support, independent of external circumstances. So that's kind of an arrogant thing it can be as well, that I'm self-sufficient on my own. Paul seems to be, if we don't read the whole thing, is that's what he's saying. Because in this culture, the Greek and Roman culture, people uh, are, are Stoics or philosophers are very self-contented people. I'm, I'm content. I, I'm, I'm on my own, but that's because of me. I've been able to do that through my own self-discipline. And Paul's saying, it's not through my self-discipline that I'm content. And he says that famous phrase, I can do all things. I can be content through him who gives me strength, which is Jesus. It's not me. It's Jesus in me that gives me that contentment. And Paul has recognized through the experiences of his journeys that having plenty or being in need, in need still points him to his desire and need on God, dependence upon God. He recognizes that. And he says in every situation, I've learned what it is to be content in every situation. Do you wish you could say that? I wish I could say that because I'm not. It doesn't take me five seconds to be discontent. So football's going on last night, and me and my son are flipping from Braves game to football games. And we have three cats, and all three of them are in the house last night. And one of them knocks over a vase of, of water. I mean, it, was a, it used to be like a, we had one of those fish that always die, you know, you know what I'm talking about, but the vase is still there full of water. So the cat turns it over on, on a piece of furniture of ours that has drawers and has papers all over it. So, I mean, I'm just, I lose my mind. Because I gotta, I gotta figure. I'm trying to watch football and baseball, which is really spiritual, of course, you know. And and I, and 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 then instead, I'm having to. It's get, it got in all the drawers of every. There's like six drawers. Every drawer had water in it. And I'm taking all these papers and trying to, you know, pull them out and put paper towels on them. And, and I was like, golly. And I'm like, and I just stopped. I'm like, and I'm preaching on contentment tomorrow. Yeah, I got some work to do on that. And and you know, we 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 understand that. That can be a difficult thing, to be content in every situation. But there is a way to do that when Paul finally understood what his true identity was. Well, to, to give you a, a, another illustration of that, many of you probably know the name James Earl Jones, or at least you know his voice. He has this booming voice. Uh, maybe you've even had uh, the Bible on CDs or you listen to the Bible. And I remember when I got mine, I said, I want James Earl Jones to read the Bible because I just love his voice. 
And uh, you might also know, some of you kids might go, what in the world is he talking about? But you probably know the Star Wars movies, and he's the voice of Darth Vader, okay? Now, I don't know that because I've never seen any of the Star Wars movies. I know I'm a weirdo, but I've never seen any of them. But anyway, while he was filming the, the 2014 film Rogue One, he had this conversation with somebody, and he talked to them about something in his past that has always been with him, and it was a speech impediment that he's had. And you would hardly recognize that over the years. I had no idea he had a speech impediment growing up. But he says uh, in his younger years, he was very silent, didn't say hardly anything because, of course, he had this impediment and he didn't want anybody to know and it embarrassed him. But he had a teacher who noticed that he loved writing poetry and reading poetry. And he told him one day, he says, if you like words that much, James, you ought to be able to say them out loud, trying to encourage him to move forward. So to address that stutter, he began performing Shakespeare. And he shares, if I hadn't been a stutterer, I never would have been an actor. And backstage, his script is always within reach, close to him. And the words, even after seven decades, have remained a career-long struggle. He says this, I mangle a word or two every night because the consonants get into a fight with the vowels. The, the, the person that was interviewing him named Jamie Wax referenced his career and says, it's been a pursuit of happiness, wouldn't you say that? And James Earl Jones took a step back and says, you know what, I found great treasures. Every step I take, it's about being content, that's all. I don't know what the pursuit of happiness is. What do you mean, the pursuit of happiness? No contentment. If that doesn't put a glow on your face, nothing really will. Now, there's someone who has found contentment in life, and when I hear somebody talking like that, he goes, yeah, you're getting what Paul is talking about. It is something we need to spend some time thinking and praying about and saying, God, why am I not content? Because, man, I, I don't feel content sometimes. And I go, why is that? We live in the richest nation in the world, and we have access to all these things, but I'm still not content. And part of it is, is I'm looking at this and going, yeah, yeah, look what they got to do. Oh, man, look what they have. And I don't have that. And I feel like I'm not content. And sometimes we need to put that away and say, God, what really matters? What's the bigger picture that I need to be looking at? And then Paul makes a statement that is one of the most quoted texts of the Bible, written and printed on coffee mugs, on T-shirts. Y'all probably have it in your house somewhere, framed art. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And Paul is saying, I'm not saying I don't care about your gifts. I'm not saying I really didn't want it or need it. I'm just reminding you of what you should believe, that we need to be content because Christ will give us the strength no matter what situation. I appreciate the money you sent me through Epaphroditus. That's great. It is going to help, but it's not where my strength ultimately comes through, through gifts and money. It comes through Christ. And y'all remember Tim Tebow. Yeah, well, he just got cut and he didn't even make it again this time. But remember when he was at Florida, remember he had those black patches and on there it was Philippians, F-I-L period 413, remember that? And he had that on. And I remember some people rolling their eyes and saying, well, you know, he was taking that out of context. And sometimes we can be quick to criticize someone for something they're doing to promote their faith or to share their faith because it seems showy or trendy. But as I thought about that, I thought about how many people really looked that verse up? Because Tim Tebow had Philippians 14. Well, you know, it was a lot. I read his book. He has a book out called Shaken. And he talked about that a little bit and says, it's amazing how many people have told me they looked that verse up. And as an, as an addition to looking that verse up, they started reading Philippians. And that's not even the people 
that we know about. That's just the ones we do know about. So it did have an incredible impact. And this is the thing I think about sometimes. I'm guessing that if I think my contribution to God's kingdom is to criticize those who are actually doing something for God's kingdom, maybe I missed the point. It may not be my thing to wear the blackout, but at least he's doing something to get the message out, right? And I respect him immensely for that. And his book, by the way, he talks about that he recognizes that he thought he was going to be this NFL star. I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy, he won a national championship, but he's not a football star. What does God have for me after this? And Tim realizes that because of his identity in Christ, and I respect him a lot for that. Yeah, I know he tried to play baseball, and he tried to get back in, but it didn't work out. But you know what? He's okay because he knows literally that he understands that statement that he had under his eyes. Anyway, Paul is giving them this big picture perspective about life as a follower of Jesus. It's not in the worldly perspective. When we get caught up in the worldly perspective of being content, if I'm successful, if I'm cool, if I get a lot of likes on, on, on my uh, social media, then we're missing the point. It's being content in relationship with Jesus and content genuinely in sharing the gospel despite the response of others. And Paul has understood this. If you don't understand Jesus, I'm still going to tell you about it. If you want to get angry and throw me in jail, that's okay. I'm still going to tell you this transforming message because you need to know it. And Paul goes on in this text remembering and thanking the Philippian church for their support and gifts. And he talks about a time before this where he says, When I first set out for Macedonia, not one church shared in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. You're the only group that believed in me when I first started going out. And he says, I don't forget that. I'm so grateful for that. But notice he says, shared in the matter of giving and receiving. Notice that Paul says it's both. It's giving and receiving. But you're just giving us stuff. What are we doing? But if you read Paul in his other letters when he talks about generosity and giving, he says that it's not limited. It's not only something that you do to give to someone else, but you get back. And any of you that are givers and are very generous with whether it's your time or your money, understand that concept. Because when you give to somebody, they go, oh, man, thank you so much for doing that. But you go, man, you don't know how much that did for me to be able to share that with you. It's primarily valuable because it brings God pleasure when it, you, he sees his children providing for each other out of the assurance that God's going to provide for me. I may not have this right now, but I'm going to give it to you. And that's what Paul's addressing with him. I know y'all probably didn't even have it, but you gave it anyway to me, and God's going to take care of you because you did that with the right attitude. And it brings God glory. The receiver and the giver are blessed. And this is so true. And again, it's consistent with what Paul talks about giving in the New Testament. And we need to understand that. We are blessed when we are a blessing to others. And we think about Brian in this video that we saw earlier uh, in the service. Brian is just like amazed. And if you get ever got a chance to talk to him, he was just, he was okay. He was content was just being an eye doctor here in the United States. And he says, I was making money off of rich people. <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, they like those fashion glasses. But then all of a sudden, God did something in his life, and, and he, it made an amazing difference in his life. And now that he's a giver of glasses, he realizes what a rich, content life he has now as being someone who gives and providing for other people. And God has done something amazing in his life. 
Well, you may have also noticed the Old Covenant references that Paul makes at the end of this letter. He talks about fragrant offerings, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And we might go, what in the world is that? Well, this is a, in reference to the Old Testament. Remember, they used to have to bring the animals. They would put it on the altar, and they would slaughter them, and they would bring food, and they would bring oil, and all these different things, and they would burn them on the altar, and it would be this aroma that would rise up to God, and, and God would either be pleased with it or not. But he's saying, what you're doing, and he's referencing that because this this old covenant was part of what Paul was. He was a Jewish Pharisee. But now he sees that old covenant is no longer. There's a new covenant and it's in Christ. And he uses those terms to describe the generous gifts of the Philippians and how that pleases God. It's a new covenant now, but God is so pleased when he sees you doing things for other people. Because that's when you're most like your father, when you're being generous and giving. And he understands that. God loves to see his kids. Don't you love to see your kids doing something that you taught them? Don't you see? Don't you love it? When a teacher sees the kid actually getting something they taught, man, it's, it's, it's exciting. When a coach sees a kid finally getting it, it makes us excited. But when we see our kids doing good things, values that we've taught them, it's an exciting part of us being a parent going, wow, they get it. That's who they are. They're a part of that. Recognizing that they are blessed to be a blessing to others. And I want us to note something in these last few sentences as Paul closes the letter out. He refers in verse 19 to my God. It's a personal God for, for Paul. And according, he says, uh, uh, may my God meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's making it personal. God is personal to Paul. Paul has that close relationship with God. But then in verse 20 he says, our God, to our God and, the, and Father be the glory forever and ever. So he's saying, it's my God personally that I worship, but it's also our God corporately as a group. And y'all, that's why we're here in worship today. God is my God and I worship Him. It's a personal relationship I have with Him, but so is it personal for all of y'all. And God has called us to corporately come together and worship that together. And it's great. And I appreciate the people that are sitting at home being able to corporately worship with us today. It's important. But he says, it's my God, but it's our God. We are a part of this, and God loves us all. And this personal God of his is also the personal God of the community. It is both, and that's why we worship together this morning. That's why Paul was writing this letter to keep this community intact. And as he closes, Paul sends some personal greetings from those where he was in Rome in prison. And he, na he names, he goes, hey, all the saints here in Rome send you greetings. We know that Timothy, who also wrote, he wrote in a, a couple of letters, uh, Paul wrote to him in the New Testament. And other Christians were in Rome. And he's saying, hey, those folks here who are Jesus followers, they send their greetings. And then he says, and especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And some people, as they're listening to this letter being read at their church, they go, wait, what? Read that again. Those who are in the household of Caesar, aren't those the people that have him in prison? But the people who have Paul in prison, yes, they are of, of Caesar's household, and now Paul's calling them saints. But yes, Paul says, they are saints now. Through a new life in Christ, this can be encouraging in them through more than one way. The transformation of these people that... They know about the Greek and, and Roman gods, but they have said, you know what, that's not working. That's an empty life. Those gods are not real. But now I know the one true and living God who sent his son Jesus to die for me and resurrect for me. And I see how it's transformed your life, Paul. I want that. And Paul says it's making a difference 
And Paul referred to this earlier in the letter, as you remember, that he says, what's happened to me, the reason I'm in prison, has served to actually advance the gospel message. Because it was clear through the palace guard while Paul was in chains. These guys that are... That are um, uh, guarding Paul, they're going, what, what, what is your deal, man? Why are we? Because you don't seem to be a violent guy. You don't seem to be trying to rise up an insurrection. What's the deal here? And he gets to tell his testimony of how I was a Pharisee, but now I have been, um, I'm a different man. I've been transformed by what happened to me. And he tells that story on the road to Damascus that we read about in Acts where he was transformed. And Paul gets to tell his story, which included his personal testimony and sharing who Jesus was. And so those reading this are reminded, God is working in a place, He's working in people, He's working in a way that we may not have ever thought that God would, but He is. And that needs to be a reminder of us today, that God's working in things and places we can't see. You know, think about the whole COVID thing, like, man, I thought this thing was over. You know? I had somebody ask me this week, and I was, I was kind of taken back by it. They go, Hey, in your personal prayers, have you been actually praying that God would take COVID away? And I was like, there was this awkward silence. I was like, uh, no. I've been praying for people that have it, but I, I just thought about that. And they weren't being, they were just saying, hey, you know, why are we not saying God take it away? And maybe some of you are, but I was thinking, yeah, we pray a lot for people. Hey, help them get better, help them get better. I don't know, but God is doing something in this anyway, isn't he? I don't understand what exactly, but I can tell you some amazing stories have come out of this. And so Paul is, is telling those folks, you're saints. Well, I'm a saint. If somebody called you a saint today, would you want to go, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm a saint. No, we go, oh, don't give me that term, you know. But he's saying, no, you are set apart. You are special, not because of you, but because you trust in Christ. And when we are born again into Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, Paul says, and what? The new has come. We are a new creation. And there's two people today that are going to do that, and we're very excited about that. And they're going to come in a minute. But maybe there's somebody else here today that needs to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you want that contentment that comes through knowing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we're going to have that opportunity. And I know of two ladies that are coming today to be baptized, and we're very excited about them. And I know their families are and their friends are, but there may be somebody else that needs to make that decision. So I'm going to ask our uh, praise team to come on up, and they're going to play something for us. And uh, we're going to also use this time while we're waiting for these two to come and make their confession. We also take communion every Sunday here at Southwest. If you're a visitor here today, we invite you to be a part of that if you would like, if you were a believer. And hopefully when you came in, you got one of those little packs that has a little uh, cup of juice and a little wafer. If you didn't, you can sneak out the door and grab one of those while we're singing this next song. But you don't have to be a member of our church. If you were a believer in Christ, we all, as the body of Christ, come together every week to remember what Jesus asked us to remember and that, that he died for us to make us saints, to make us new and rose again so that we could have eternity with him. And our sins are gone, they're forgiven, and now we have a new life in Christ, so we celebrate that. So we're going to prepare our hearts for that as they lead us this morning. Y'all will come on up.